as we jump into um, today, I want to remind you of just a couple things uh, we've been talking about this year. We've used this Christmas season to be focusing on some of the themes of Advent. I know that for some of us, you're, whether maybe you're not a church person or perhaps you're from a denomination that doesn't uh, you know, have any experience with celebrating Advent, um, other than maybe a chocolate calendar uh, during the month of December. My sister <laughs> always posts funny stuff. Uh, um, you ought to follow my sister, Jamie uh, Walters McCam, and she's hilarious. But she, she was uh, saying recently that according to her chocolate advent calendar, it's two days to Christmas right now. So apparently, uh, <laughs> um, get ahead of herself there. Anyhow, apart from, apart from that, we've been trying to do a little advent theme here. So what we've done is we've managed to um, uh, light some candles and at the end of the service have someone from the church uh, different people each week uh, each service uh, 9 o'clock and 1045 someone different read a passage of scripture to that theme and then light the candle we did hope week one enjoy week two we'll do another one today and then on Christmas Eve service uh, the 24th 25th 24th we're going to have the Christ candle lit so I'll be here for all of it but anyhow today I want to move into the next one and if you were with us last week as we talked about joy you might remember that we read a story where the, the, the Savior was born and the shepherds were the first ones to hear the announcement and they came to see the child, and the angels appeared to them. Remember the angels appeared to the shepherds, and a whole host of them glorified and praised God. Remember what the angels said to the shepherds? They said these words, peace on earth. Peace on earth. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you been to earth lately? Peaceful place? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just, that's, the, that's the name of the game, right? I mean, you just look around you, and the, is, there, is there a war going on in the world? Is there conflict? Are there bombings? Are people displaced and being killed? Forget the ones we even know about, all the people who live in internment camps and other terrible situations globally that happen all the time, and we never even give it a second thought. How about peace in our nation? Do you feel like, you know, the political divisions that we've seen for years now on both sides of the aisle and the rhetoric ramped up? It feels like we're certain segments feel like they're at borderline civil war. Does that seem peaceable? Or um, how about, um, you know, at your job, is things all peaceful at work? You know, boss, always happy with you. You're always happy with the boss. Uh, no, no, no competition from your employees. No, no, uh, Drama there with your coworkers or anything within the business, or maybe you're the boss and you are your employees all perfect and they never disappoint expectations, or maybe it's home. You go home and you're like, peace. You should go to my house. You know, uh, your spouse. Maybe you're at conflict with your spouse or having some trouble with your children or or, or, or with your parents or your friend's circle or social media. All oh, this hurt feelings and things that are said that can't be unsaid, and and you're navigating what 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 happened. I mean, peace on earth? Have you been there? And if, if you feel the tension of looking for peace and wondering how true those words ring out in your life, I would simply say this to you today, that this tension is nothing that's new. In fact, um, there was a poet back in the um, 1800s named Henry Longfellow. You may have heard of him, and he wrote a lot of poetry. If you're, if you're into that sort of thing, wrote a lot of poetry. And one of the things he wrote uh, was happened during the Civil War. 
Uh, he wrote a poem called Christmas Bell, Christmas Bells by Henry Longfellow. He wrote it because on Christmas Day he was walking around and um, heard the church bells chiming that it was Christmas. And it's, it's the middle of war. Not just war, but civil war, like brother killing brother, nation uh, rising up and killing each other within their own nation because of their ideologies and shedding each other's blood over their beliefs. And as he watched all the strife and all the things going on, uh, Henry Longfellow wrote some words down and, and wrote the poem, Christmas Bells. And that, that poem has been turned into at least two songs that I know of, maybe more. Uh, two songs, but it all came from this poem, and you may recognize the words. The poem begins, I won't read it all, but it begins by saying, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Perhaps you know those words from maybe one of the songs or maybe from the poem itself. And without reading it all, skipping down a few stanzas, he, he echoes this sentiment later on. He said, And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And it's a good, it's, it, he resolves it and talks about it, and you should read it for yourself if you haven't. But as is, is you read those words, perhaps you can say, I can relate to that. That's 160 years ago, right? Like, that's, that could have been written today. That could have been written about the world, or it could at least have been written about my world today. Peace on earth. Peace on earth, sometimes, for some of us, it maybe, maybe it feels more like a platitude than a promise, right? Like, the angels are coming down saying, Jesus is here, so now there's peace on earth. And you're like, really? <laughs> it's about 2,000 years, really? Like, hey, great idea, poor execution, okay? Um, there's no peace on earth, I said. So the question is, why does peace continue to be so elusive even after what the angels said that day? And to answer that and to understand how it what it means to your life and mine, we have to begin by defining what we mean when we say peace or peace on earth. What is peace? What do we mean by peace? So often, we define peace as the absence of negative feedback or circumstances, right? Like if there's, if there's uh, negative feedback coming into my life, if there's negative things happening to me or around me, then, then I, I need peace. And the lack of those negatives means I'm at peace. In other words, we might say, I just want a peaceful night, you know, where no one around, no one bothering me, nothing troubling me. And we're, we, oh, we're always looking for external sources for peace. We're always looking for external sources and we're for proof of peace by, you know, peace is proven by what's not happening to me or around me. We look to those things for our peace. But here's the question. What kind of peace were the angels talking about? What kind of peace were they talking about that day they made the announcement? What kind of peace does God promise to give us? And for, for that, we have to look past that Christmas morning, that Christmas night announcement that the angels gave and fast forward a number of years until Jesus himself was walking around teaching his own disciples. In fact, we want to fast forward from that angelic announcement about 30 plus years, like 33 years later, 
to when Jesus is spending a few moments with his closest followers, his 12 disciples. And they're gathered together in an upper room. They are, they are about to, and by the way, it's the night that Jesus is going to be arrested. And check it out. It is the night before he is going to be crucified on a peaceful cross, right? I mean, that night he would be arrested. That night he would be taken by his countrymen and he would be put on a trial and condemned. He would be beaten around by them. Then he'd be delivered to the Roman authorities who would beat him further. And then at the behest of the religious leaders who turned him in, they would strong-arm Rome to crucifying him. And he would die a terrible, cruel death that people suffered at that time if they were the worst of criminals. And as Jesus faced this very non-peaceful time in his life, he gathered that evening with his disciples to share a last meal and to talk with them. And boy, I'll tell you, he, you ought to read John chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 because in these chapters he speaks his final words before his arrest and before his crucifixion. And if you want to know what's on someone's heart strongly, read those things they say before that happens. And Jesus talks from his heart for, for quite a while and in that talk, he says several important things. For example, he says, I'm going to be leaving you soon, which bothered them. Then he says, but don't worry, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And, and either whether, whether I come back while you're still alive to bring you with me or whether you pass away and you're there with me, either way, we'll be together beyond this life because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he says to them, also, I'm going to send in the meantime, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit who's going to come and, and, and live inside of you as you believe on me. He's going to indwell you, and he's going to comfort and guide you and teach you. And so these are some good things. And then we get down to John chapter 14 and verse 27, and here's what Jesus says. He says, I am leaving you with a gift. Well, that sounds good. I'm sure the disciples are thinking, we love a gift. <laughs> I mean, it's Christmas season for us here. We, we'll take gifts. What kind of a gift is he going to leave us with? Perhaps it's a gift, like he already mentioned, he's going to prepare a place for us. It's a trip, you know, it's a gift. And all, he's sending his Holy Spirit to indwell us. Those are gifts. What other gift is Jesus going to leave with us, they may have wondered. He said, I'm leaving you with a gift. Here it is. Peace of mind and heart. <laughs> That's the whole caboodle right there, folks. That's what we want, peace of mind. And hard. I mean, let's, let's be honest, most of the things that you and I strive for in life, and we try to get and achieve and whatever else, is because we're trying to work some things out in our lives that we think will bring us peace, right? We work on things we work on because we're hoping that those things will bring peace to our lives, peace of mind and peace of heart. And so if Jesus says, I'll just give it to you right up front, what else do I need? I mean, you can't put a price tag on that. Yes, please, leave us with peace of mind and peace of heart. And then Jesus continues. He says, and the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. He says, you can't get this in this world. It's not delivered by Amazon. It doesn't come in a box. It's not purchased in a store. Perhaps this peace is a little bit more, right? He says, listen, here's what I'm saying. What I come to offer you is a peace you cannot find in this world you live in. 
He said, if you look for it there, you're going to be very disappointed. If you look for it in, 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 the, uh, in, the, in the global climate, you're going to be disappointed. If you look for it in, in the national pol- politics, you're going to be bummed out. If you look for it at your workplace, you might be let down. If you look for it in, in the people who live in your house to give it to you, hey, the peace I'm offering you is nobody else, can, the world cannot give it to you. But I want to give it to you. It's peace of mind. It's peace of heart. Well, that sounds great. The disciples are like, that sounds really good. I'll take some of that piece. Yes, please, sign me up, double portion. But then, and then they, they, they must have been thinking, if he's giving us peace of mind and heart, everything's gonna be okay. This is great news. Then he continues. We're gonna skip a lot of what he says because we'd be here all day. You know how I get. But we're gonna, he says so many things about what he wants next. But then he starts getting into some difficult conversations that almost seem counterintuitive to all this talk of peace. In fact, in chapter 16, it gets kind of tough. I wanna read you a few verses to, to see what I'm talking about here. Chapter 16, same conversation. Jesus says, you will be expelled from the synagogues. Okay, <laughs> who... Expel from, from church? Who, who, who's not welcome to that church? Like, who's going to throw you out of the synagogues? What kind of a situation is that? That's messed up. But he wasn't done. He says, you'll be expelled from the synagogues, and the time is coming when those who kill you will think that they are doing a holy service for God. And then I imagine that Jesus may have said, uh, I see a hand in the back. Who, is that Peter, what's, what's your hand up for? Yeah, Jesus, me, Peter. Um, question. You were talking about, you know, you, those who kill us will think whatever. You just kind of glibly mentioned that people are, people are going to kill us. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're going to kill you. <laughs> Get ready for it. They're going to kill me tomorrow, and you're, you're coming down the road. Good luck. Okay, question. Yes, Peter, what is it? Okay. That's not cool. But also, you said the ones who are going to kill us are going to think that they're doing a holy service for God. What do you, what do you mean? And boy, today, if we're, if we're honest, we understand what that means. We've seen it, and, and, and the disciples had seen it. That, that people, it's, it's one thing if you think the bad guys, the people who deny God, who hate God, who whatever, they would harm you because they hate God and they're bad and they know it. But Jesus says the people who are gonna hurt you are the ones who believe that they are righteous. The ones who are gonna do it to you are the ones who believe they are right with God and doing God's work. And they had already had an example of this, hadn't they? Think about the last few years they had been with Jesus and they had watched him. All he did was go about and heal sick people and and cast out devils and raise the dead. He fed the hungry. He pointed people to God's love and to God's good news. And as he pointed God's love to people and served the world, guess who gave Jesus 100% of his trouble? The religious people. The people who... The Bible reading, Scripture memorizing, go to Sabbath, practice the faith, the crowd who was so alienated from the people that they thought were wrong, whose, whose lifestyles and lives they didn't agree with, people who they just were off in their box just saying, oh, the world's bad, pray for revival, and sitting there feeling better about themselves than the rest of the world sitting around and arguing with each other in their little sex about their theology, who's more theologically right. Actually, you got it wrong, you know, and arguing about their doctrines. And, and, and the people who, who uh, were fighting about politics and Rome's rule and government ideas, because politics is everything, apparently. And, and so these religious people, Jesus shows up as the Son of God, and they're like, well, if he's really from God, he's going to join our crowd. If he's really from God, he's going to join our club and validate us. 
and fit in. But Jesus just kind of went after those people that they didn't touch with a 10-foot pole. He ate with undesirables. He, you, you, you can't talk to them or minister to them. You know, they're, they're not right with God. If those people want to come to God, they can come crawling back to us, and, and we'll accept them back in through if they, if they cross all the right T's and dot the right I's. But you, they're wrong. And Jesus would go minister to those people and love them and eat with them. And they thought that was terrible. And then he served, and they, they said that he wasn't validating them. And they were so upset with him that they followed him around and they picked at every single little thing he did. They picked at it, didn't they? They found fault every time he turned around to the point they eventually paid one of his disciples 30 pieces of silver to betray them, him. And then they had him condemned, beaten, and strong-armed Rome to killing him for them. Not the people who deny God, who hate faith or religion, but the people who, again, the Scripture reading, Scripture memorizing, practicing the walk, people who said, we are the ones who are right with God. And they gave Jesus all the trouble. And Jesus said, when I'm gone, it's coming your way, bro. He's getting ready for it. When I'm gone, all your trouble is going to come from the same source. And the disciples are hearing this thing. We're not only going to have persecution someday, but it's not going to come from the hands of the bad people, quote unquote. It's going to come from the hands of the people who, like Paul later on, would believe that they're doing God's work as zealous students of the scriptures who, we're just keeping it right, brother. We're keeping it right because they're all doing it wrong and we're right. We've got to call out what's wrong. And so they're going to fight. And so they, they would um, arrest them and they'd throw them in prison and they would beat them and they would stone them to death. And Jesus says, well, get ready for it. It's coming your way, and people will kill you one day and believe that they're doing a holy service for God. They will be convinced that they are right with God and how they treat you. And this is not a hard concept for us to see 2,000 years later, right? We've all known, not just in the world and certain religions, but even in Christianity in our own country, we have seen people who terribly mistreat, maybe not murder, but terribly mistreat others because they disagree with them. We've seen Christians just treat people they think are far from God in the most just shunning sort of ways. We see people run folks out of church and faith communities because of, of things they don't like or agree with. We've watched people get mad at other churches because they don't have the right doctrine. If they, they don't understand God the way I do, so I'm going to call them out. Or they'll minister to the people that I don't think they should minister to people living that way. And so I feel like it's my job to call them out in my, behind my pulpits or in my writing literature or online because, bless God, someone's got to stand for the truth. And they'll, and they'll mistreat so many people in God's name and say, I'm doing God's work. Someone's got to say this stuff. Someone's got to say the hard stuff. Someone's got to call out these people who are doing it wrong. And we mistreat people and we're arrogant and we're alienating and we're so full of ourselves in God's name. How many times have we seen it up close? The damage that's caused by people who treat others so poorly, whether they're far from God or people who are doing God the wrong way in their minds, and mistreat other people uh, to, to kick them out of their churches, kick them out of their denominations, kick them out of their circles, diminish their influence, and fight them and say, I'm doing God's work, I'm doing the right thing. They go, good for you. And, and it's not like they're un, you know, God denying people, they are people who know the scriptures, have theological views, and believe and be offended and be told they're doing the, the wrong work. They're like, I'm doing God's work in how I'm treating people. I'm doing God's work in what I'm saying. I'm doing God's work in the things I'm stirring up. Jesus said 2,000 years ago to his disciples, get ready, that's the ride you're gonna take if you follow me. And so the disciples are like, well, this is cheerful. This is good news. And then he continues. He says, this is, this is because they've never known the Father or me. 
Well, that's, that's kind of offensive. Jesus says the people who are going to persecute you and are people who are going to do it in saying they're doing it for me, but they never knew me. You tell anyone who thinks they're doing God's work and how they, what they, you know, that they're all worked up about, you tell them that they're, they don't know God, they'd be offended at that. But Jesus says they're doing things in my name, but they don't even know who I am. They don't even know me. They miss the Father's heart. They have the Father's name, but they miss the Father's heart. And then he says this in verse 4, Yes, I'm telling you these things now, so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer. He said, if I told you earlier, I was here to navigate with you. But now that I'm going away, you need to know this so it won't surprise you when it happens. And they're like, does it get better? Does the news get better? Because this conversation, Jesus took a really dark turn from the earlier talk about all that peace. Where's all the peace talk now? Then Jesus continues all the way down in verse 32. He says more bad news. He says, the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when you will be scattered, each one going his own way, leaving me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. He said, look, what's going to happen is you're going to, this very night, watch what I'm talking about begin to happen. They're going to come and arrest me the way that they're going to eventually arrest you and kill you one day. They're going to do come to me tonight. And, and so it's beginning now, and y'all going to run. And you're going to be scattered. And you're going to be hiding in fear. So all that I'm talking about is beginning now. But don't worry. You'll leave me alone, but I'm not alone. And I want you to understand that you're not alone either, but you don't understand it yet. And as they're hearing this crazy news, wondering, what's he going on about? In verse 33, he says this. This is the most important verse. Don't miss it. He says, I have told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. <laughs> you told us all of that so we could have peace? Okay. You got a terrible bedside manner, Jesus, okay? I mean, that was horrible, okay? You told us all of that so we have peace? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told you all that's going to happen to you at the hands of the people who hurt you in my name. What's going to happen next? Because I want you to understand that as unfair as that seems and as messed up as that looks and as much as it makes you doubt everything about who you are, what you are, what you are I told you that because I want you to know that you can know, let that happen to you and in me have peace. How can I have peace in you when there's so much lack of peace in my world? Because the world isn't the source of peace. In fact, he says that next. He says, on earth, on earth you're going to have um, many trials and sorrows. Get ready for it. So, so the peace I'm talking about doesn't come from the earth. It doesn't come from the world. It comes from me. At the same time you're having peace in me, you're having trials in the world. It seems contradictory. Unless peace doesn't come from the world. He says, you're going to have trials and sorrows, but take heart. Take heart, because I have overcome the world. That peace of heart we read about earlier. You have peace of heart in the middle of it all, because you have your peace in me. And I've overcome it all. But here's the thing, I've overcome it not by, by um, Jesus never came and, and overcame it through his sword. He came, overcame it on the cross through his suffering, through his trials and sorrows. And he says, I overcame the world despite what the world's going to do to me next. And you can overcome the world and have peace of mind and heart in me, but not from the world. So I, I want to illustrate it in, a, in a, maybe a simple, maybe a silly way, but I want to, I brought a little illustration with me today. This is what they call an unspillable bowl. How many of you are familiar with these little things? Okay, anybody here? I'm going to tell upside there's a little bowl inside here. Has anybody ever used these before or have these around you? The only people in my last service were the ones with little kids. So seriously, nobody else in this room has ever used an unspillable bowl. 
This will, this will help you. Um, this will help you. I'm, I'm going to give this to you when the service is over, okay? So the idea, it's not, it's not foolproof. This is a bad example potentially. But the idea in concept, I, I'm not so sure how well it works because I raised kids, um, is that there's a bowl in the middle attached to, a couple, attached to a couple different kinds of axles that go a couple different directions. This one goes this way and this other one goes the other way. Toward the idea is that the bowl, see the bowl in the middle, is supposed to be able to stay steady, but the outside container can be moved around because your kids can tilt the bowl around. But the stuff inside the bowl stays steady no matter what the outside of the container is going. So it's supposed to be a spill-proof or unspillable bowl. Now, I call, I call baloney on that because I've, I raise kids, I know what they do. They're like, ah, and it's going to be everywhere. Okay? So it's a nice concept, but I'm also sure how well it worked out um, in life. But as, for all of its shortcomings, maybe they'll come up with a better invention in the future, right? But for all its shortcomings, the idea is sound. The idea is that if you put something in the bowl, if I was to pour some liquid in the bowl right now, I can turn the, the, the container this way, I can turn it that way, I can turn it upside down, I can go all around to, to the container, but what's inside the bowl, especially when it has a mass in it for center of gravity, it just stays steady. It doesn't move. The, the outside can be shaken around, but what's inside the bowl doesn't spill out. And that is a poor illustration of what Jesus was saying peace is supposed to be. He says, don't walk around this world and expect the world. If you think peace means that the world comes to you and says, look at you, everything's perfect. No one's ever going to upset you or bother you. Your boss is wonderful. Your employees are great. Your family's always nice. Your spouse is always perfect. Kids never misbehave. Your parents never disappoint. Your um, your uh, your the, the world's great political things. The social media is peaceful. Oh, peace. No. He says, here's what you're going to experience in the world. It's going to be this way and that way and up and down. It's going to toss you and turn you every which way. And if you're thinking that that has to be calm for peace, you'll never find peace. But I've told you these things so you have peace in me. While you have the shakeup of the world around you, while you have the shakeup of the people you can't control around you, you can have peace in me. But here's how. It comes because you know where it comes from, and it should be unspillable. It should be something that I give you that no one can shake out of you no matter what they do to turn your world upside down because you didn't get it from them in the first place. And I put a peace in you that's unspillable. Now that's easy. That, that's, that's the idea. That's the promise, by the way, of Christmas. That's the promise of Christ. He said, I have come and I have overcome. So, so why do the angels, the angels are sitting there saying, peace on earth when Jesus was born, they were going to crucify him one day, nail him to a cross. They were going to follow him around and hound his entire, the religious people, hound his whole ministry. The disciples never experienced that kind of peace. They would die also in his name. But Jesus said, in me, you can have peace that the world and its trials and tribulations cannot take away because they don't give it in the first place. What I'm putting in you should be unspillable. That's what the angels sang about. That's what the angels were talking about. Why could they sing on Christmas morning to the shepherds in the fields about peace on earth when the earth was anything but peaceful? Because here's why. Because Jesus brought the peace with him. Right, that, that's such a big idea. My phrase is going to slide past us. He, they sang about peace on earth not because he was going to come into a peaceful earth, but because he was bringing peace with him. And he told his disciples, you'll find peace in me. Now, 
Here's what I want to say, and this is a big, big idea that, that, that we are going to have to understand for ourselves. We aren't supposed to be looking around to the world for our peace, as I've been saying. Instead, peace is something that we're supposed to be bringing into the world ourselves. So I want to give you a silly, another silly illustration because I'm full of those today. So if you invite me to a party, by the way, don't invite me to a party, please, not right now. We just, you know, Michelle's work party was last night. That was enough parties for me for the week. And I don't, I, this is a busy month, okay? But, but here's the deal. Um, if you were to invite me to a party next year and, um, and um, you're like, hey, Arlen, would you come? But here, I, yeah, thanks. Here's the deal. I need you to bring the soft drinks. Arlen, would you bring the Coke Zero with you? I'm like, okay, I'll do that because I've learned as a Coke Zero-aholic. I have learned through the years that I can't count on the places that I go that they will have the appropriate beverage. I've had to learn to B-Y-O-C-Z. And so um, I've learned that I have to, you know, I've got to bring it with me. And so you're like, um, Arlen, would you come to the party? But listen, we're not going to have any soft drinks there. Would you, bring the, would you bring the Coke Zero with you for the whole party? Sure, I'll do that. I'll do my part. Thanks, Arlen. And then the party day shows up, and I come to the party, and I completely forget. Or maybe I just don't care. Maybe I just don't bother. And I walk into the party empty-handed. And imagine that an hour or so into the party, someone says, hey, Arlen, are you having a good time? And I'm, I'm like, oh, no, it's a terrible party. Well, what's wrong? Are you kidding me? What's wrong? There's no Coke Zero here. What kind of a party doesn't have Coke Zero? This place stinks. Can't believe it, man. I'm like, well, Arlen, that's not the party's fault. You're the one supposed to bring the Coke Zero. They weren't going to supply that for you. That was you're supposed to bring that. If you're mad at the party for something you didn't bring. Listen, you want a Coke Zero here. You're supposed to bring it. Well, I know, but I'm just I'm saying I'm upset that it's not here. Okay, you can do that. Silly illustration to say this: We run around this world saying, "I don't have peace." I don't have peace. There's no peace in this world. There's no peace in my house. There's no peace in my workplace. No peace in the government. There's no peace in my social media account. There's no, no peace. And, and, and here's the thing I want to I leave this thought, and I want to put it on the screen for you here. If you want to find peace in this world, you'll have to bring it with you. Because the peace does not come from this world. Christ says, I, I can't want you to have peace in me. What about the world? All the world's trials and tribulations for you. But you want peace in the world, bring it with you. You bring it to the party. You show up. You do the work. You know, you, you want peace in, in, in um, social media. You can't control what anybody else posts, but you can stop being dramatic. You can stop stirring the pot. You want peace in your workplace. You can't control who's gunning for your job or what, you know, the boss's mood or the employees. That, but you know what you can do? You can control that you don't, you know, that you diffuse instead of ignite you, got peace, you want peace in your relationship and your spouses. You can't control their mood and their behavior, your children or your parents disappointing you or upsetting your apple cart. You can't control any of that other stuff. That's, all that stuff is is stuff that's going to toss you here and there. But God says, I want to give you a peace that comes from me. And if you want to bring peace in that situation, you've got to bring it with you. So here's how that looks. It means that instead of saying, you escalated the situation, I'm going to escalate it back. You shook me up, I'm going to shake you up back. Uh, you did this, you provoked me, I'll provoke back. You say, you know what, that's what the world's going to do. The world's going to provoke, it's going to escalate, it's going to tear us up. I don't care. I don't get my peace from them, I get my peace from God, and I can walk into the mess and all the turbulence, and I can bring the peace. I can be the one who says, let me diffuse, let me defer, let me calm down, let me breathe and say, God's got this, and God's got me. 
Now, here's the deal. It's not easy. If you're sitting here today saying, well, Arlen, that sure is easy to stay from the stage, but that's a lot. That's hard. Let me say this out loud for all of us. This is easy to stay from the stage, but it's hard. In fact, peace is work. Jesus was preaching much earlier than the story we just read, preaching his famous Sermon on the Mount. And in the middle of the sermon, here's what he said. In Matthew 5, verse 9, Jesus said, God blesses those who work for peace. Well, that's a great way of saying that, isn't it? Like those who work, because it's work. Because you know, it's easy for us. You know what's hard to do? It's hard to be a peacemaker, isn't it? I find it's very easy in life to, to expect that we could be a peacetaker. Hello, I want, to, I want some peace. Can you give me some, I want to take some peace from you. Can you, hey, hey honey, can you bring me some peace? I want to take some peace from you. I want, but, but, but to be a peacemaker, well, that takes work. But God blesses those who work for peace. Here's why. For they will be called the children of God. And this is such a beautiful idea. That Jesus was saying, you want people to, to, who understand this to look at you and say, hey, you look like your father. I see it in you. Jesus was saying this. Jesus was saying, I am the son of God. I have come from God the Father as a son of God to, to a world that sin and wrongdoing has created all the mess that we know, all the conflict, all the drama, all the hardship that we know has been brought upon by this world, by, by the world and its choices. We've all contributed to it. It's all the separation, anxieties, hardships, pain. And, and, and from each other and from God, and to each other and to our planet and everything else. And Jesus said, I came into that mess to reconcile people back to God, to reconcile people back to God, to, to bring peace between mankind and God. He's called the Prince of Peace. I came to, to, to uh, through the cross of Calvary to bring peace. At my expense, I'm gonna do the hard work. I'm gonna do the hard part to bring people back to peace with God as the son of God. And here's what Jesus is saying. If you all want to be known as sons of God or children of God, you'll be called that like me when you act like me. When you act like the Father and you work for peace. And I know it's work, but Jesus, I came to do it. So be like me, be children, be known as the children of God because you work for peace. And if he wasn't thorough enough there, he clarifies even further later on in the same sermon, zoom all the way down to, to verse 43, here's what he says. He says, you have heard the law that says love your neighbor and hate your enemy. In other words, the law that Moses gave you to govern your nation, the Hebrew writings. said, so, you know, love your neighbor is a, a civil law for our nation, but your enemies, basically the implication is you can hate them. You know, they're, they're, they're the enemy. But Jesus said, I'm turning, I've, I've come to complete that. I've come to fulfill that. I've come to, you know, do what no one's been able to do, which is keep the law anyhow. I've come to give you a whole new program to march to, new commandments. And he says, you want, you want to hear what I'm saying? You want to know what it means to be a follower of me? This is, like, this is like past old covenant and into new covenant. This is what Jesus is all about. He says, here's what it looks like. But I say to you, love your enemies. Oh, pray for those who persecute you. Oh, my goodness. I don't want to pray for those jerks. I want to get them back. I don't want to love them. That's hard. That would take some work. Because 
I mean, they stirred me up. I just want to reciprocate in kind. I want to make sure that love them? He says, yeah. And here's what he says next, verse 45. In that way, don't miss it now, in that way, you'll be acting as true children of your father. Don't miss it now. You'll be acting like your father, like children of your father, like, like, like Jesus, the son of God. To be acting like me, he says. You'll be acting as true children of your father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends his rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you want to understand what it's all about, then you, you work for peace. So again, I say to you, let's not walk around and say, say oh, well, I'll have peace, peace on earth. Bring it to me. I'll be a peacetaker. No. Peace won't come from the world because the world's going to shake you up. People will shake you up. Family will shake you up. A work will shake you up. Neighbors will shake you up. Social media will shake you up. The world will shake you up. Politics will shake you up. And if we, get, if we get caught up in all that, we're going to be a hot mess all the time. But if we can sit there and say, I get my peace from the Lord, and I'm going to have peace no matter what's going on around me, and instead, I'm going to be a different kind of person in this world. I'm going to be the kind of person who walks into the chaos and brings the peace. I'm going to work for peace. I'm going to do the hard work. I'm not going to blame you, honey, that we're not at peace. I'm going to say, what do I need to do to find my peace from God and bring peace to our relationship. I'm going to do that with my kids. I'm going to do it with my parents. I'm going to do it with my uh, employees as a boss or with my boss as an employee or with my coworkers as someone who works with difficult people. I'm going to do it in my social media, my friend circles. I'm going to not look and be upset at those who don't bring peace to me because I don't get peace from anyone anyhow. I guess from God and that's unspillable. But I'm going to bring peace to the world around me and I'm going to work for it. If we can figure that out, we understand the whole gospel message. And we can understand how to live it out in a world around us. And I think the Christians have honestly lost our way on this one. We're, we're as hot, a hot mess and we're as chaotic and ungracious and unpeaceable of a bunch as anyone anymore. We think we're doing God's, we think we're doing, what does the verse say earlier? A holy service for God. But maybe we're not. Maybe we should act more like true children of our Father in heaven. So Jesus says, as I summarize, to his disciples before he was arrested, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and peace of heart. And the peace I, I give is a gift the world cannot give. Don't expect to find it there. So don't be afraid and troubled. Okay, God, I get my peace from you, but what about the chaos around me? He says, here's, here's what he said else. Matthew 5, 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. So here's my advice this Christmas. If you're struggling to find peace on earth, Quit finding peace from earth and find it in Jesus. Find it in Christ. And then bring it with you to the world around you. And that's hard. And that takes work. But let's be children of our Father. We are. We're not saved by doing that. We're saved by faith in Christ. But let's act like children of our Father, as the verse said earlier. Let's be recognized as children of our Father. Because we find our peace in Him and we do the hard work of bringing peace to those around us. Not expecting that they're going to do the same. Because our peace doesn't come from them, it comes from him. We just pass it on. Simple? Well, it's simple to say. Not simple to execute. But how about it this Christmas? Let's give it a shot.